This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Emma Dunphy. Now... The United States of America has, of course, the biggest economy in the world. It is the most powerful economic force. China is the second largest economy, and it too is a large force. And the Chinese in particular have been having problems with their economy for some time now. There has been a property crash, and the Chinese currency, the renminbi, is down 6% against the dollar this year, and the exchange rate touched levels last seen in 2007 on Thursday after data showed a fourth straight month of decline in Chinese exports. What happens in China, of course, and in the United States in terms of the economy matters to us. And it's a pleasure now to welcome Chris Johns. Chris is a former chief economist with Bank of Ireland, He's now a respected commentator. Chris, it's great to have you to speak about this because it seems to me that if the two biggest economies, let's use the word biggest, you no doubt explain the, the details of it. If these two large economies are for one reason or another in trouble, and China in particular, it has meaning for us in Europe because Europe is also in a bit of bother. Oh, big time. And just consider Europe's uh, largest economy, Germany. It's in trouble, possibly in recession at the moment, very unlike Ireland, and possibly in a worse situation than the UK's economy, which is flatlining as opposed to recession. Germany is actually shrinking, we think, at the moment, partly because of what's happening in China. It's not the only factor behind their recession, but Germany still is, unlike many other economies, a manufacturing powerhouse. And there has been a big slowdown for all sorts of reasons. Uh, in global manufactured trade, international trade, both exports and imports of all countries have suffered because of this. And if your country is very exposed to manufacturing, as Germany's is, then you are suffering. And one of the reasons for this is the Chinese slowdown. Both their exports and imports of manufacturers have fallen a lot, as you mentioned. There are lots of reasons behind that. The, The strength of the Chinese economy itself is a problem because their domestic economy is growing very slowly if at all. And so they're sucking in less imports of all kinds, not just manufacturers. So anybody exporting to China, 
like Germany does, like all countries do actually, including Ireland, are going to find their marketplace becoming tougher. But there's also a trade war. Now, this trade war was started by Donald Trump with tariffs on China pretty much as soon as he took office. Yes. And one of the, the more interesting aspects of Bidenomics, Biden's economic policies, is that not only has he continued with Trump's policies, he's shown no signs of rescinding them at all, and if anything, has tweaked them to strengthen them. And the one consensus thing in Washington, D.C., they disagree about everything over there, but the one thing that they agree on is that they have to see off the China threat, both economically and strategically, politically. So it's, it's important on an economic level. When you say see off the China threat, does that mean weakening the Chinese economy or damaging it or weakening it by doing precisely what? Well, they're doing lots of things. Um, they are res- the Americans, for example, are restricting exports of technological goods, chips, for example. Yes. Um, and, and they're having a go at, um, at a big Dutch company, for example, called ASML, that makes the machines, that makes the chips. And uh, it, it, they're the supply chain for high technology. The Americans are saying, wherever you are in that supply chain, no matter what country you're in, even if you're a friendly country, please stop stop exporting to China. And other countries are joining this bandwagon. They are, um, for reasons best known to their intelligence services, deciding that the Chinese are a a security threat. So we have the Chinese company Huawei. You may have heard that that's been in the news a long time. That makes telephones. It makes the infrastructure equipment for telephone networks, mobile phone networks in particular. And there is a simple view that Huawei is spying on us. In, in some shape or form. Yes, and in Britain in particular, there was great controversy about this because the British decided, I think in the Johnson prime ministership, to bang on and ignore the concerns of people who think Huawei products might have spyware within. Yeah, and it's not just Britain. In Canada, they um, detained a Huawei executive for, for a long period of time, provoked a huge diplomatic row with China over this very issue. So different countries have very similar stances on this, although there are <laughs> there are subtle differences. Britain, um, unfortunately, has a long track record of speaking out of both sides of its mouth when it comes to these sorts of issues. It talks very tough on China and does the things that we've just mentioned in regards to companies like Huawei. But the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly, has just come back from a visit to China. I saw him groveling. Yeah, well, he basically <laughs> has been groveling to the Chinese and undoing um, all of that uh, trying to see off China thing. Now, the Chinese threat, if you like, is a security one. This is what the Americans are worried about most, but they also are concerned about the economic threat. And the two are linked, of course, because the, the, the one thing that the Chinese security and technological infrastructure plans need is money, and Chinese economic growth supplies that. Modern China began in 1978 with the reforms introduced by an old premier or president, uh, Deng Xiaoping. And Chinese economy then took off. And we have all grown up since 1978 with growth numbers for China that have just been extraordinary. And we've seen whole cities created almost overnight. And goods and services, particularly manufactured goods on the shelves of our shops, um, appearing with the Made in China label. And that's funded an awful lot of things, an awful lot of good things. 800 million plus people in China 
have been lifted out of what we consider to be the standard definition of poverty. That's an unambiguous good thing. Uh, the China shock, though, as some American, in particular, trade economists call it, meant that traditional manufacturing industries in countries like the United States, but also Great Britain, um, were uh, eviscerated, quite frankly. We no longer produce a lot of things that the Chinese right. still produce. There's controversy over just how big the China shock to manufacturing communities have been in places like Britain and the United States because uh, there are other factors of work, like automation, for example. A lot of these jobs would have gone anyway. But China has represented... The reason why 800 million people have been taken out of poverty in China is that the incomes of a lot of people in the West have been less than they would otherwise have been, as we economists are very fond of saying. So it's, it's, uh, it's not a zero-sum game, but there are, in this game that we're playing of international trade, winners and losers. And an awful lot of winners have been Chinese, and quite a lot of losers have been Western Europe, Western country manufacturing workers. And yeah. that, there's no doubt about that. Let me ask you then about a, a phase that Europe and maybe the US, I'm not sure about the US, but we went through a phase, Angela Merkel was one of the people who did believe that we could have a good relationship with China. It would be built on mutual interests, on trade. I remember David Cameron and George Osborne, who was his chancellor, they came to power in 2010 in, in the UK. They were also very keen to build a close and friendly and economically mutually beneficial relationship with China. I remember Bertie Hearn, when he was Taoiseach, I think, leading an Irish delegation to China, and the intent there was closer relationships and mutual benefit for everybody and happy days. That's not the way it's turned out, because for one thing, it seems Xi Jinping doesn't believe that. He's not going to the G20 meeting this week of the world's major countries, although Joe Biden is. And indeed, Janet Yellen, who is the U.S. Treasury Secretary, spoke about her concerns about China's economic problems at the G7, which is a G20, rather, which is in India this weekend. But what about the notion that friendship through trade? Well, I think there's a lot to that, and there's still a lot to that, and that if both sides genuinely engage with each other on the basis that you just described, there are uh, mutual benefits to be had, both economically, politically, and socially. And I think it was the right idea at a particular point in time to actually try to engage with the Chinese in the way that we did. We admitted them to the World Trade Organization not long after that 1978 opening up. And I think the premiers and presidents of China would have agreed with you, that, uh, and Angela Merkel, and all the other leaders who have said that the way in which we have a peaceful, prosperous future is by engagement at many different levels, both economic and political. And the way that we avoid the things that we have done in the past so often of going to war with each other is via that engagement. And it's not just security that it guarantees, it's also prosperity, because trade does improve everyone's prosperity in the aggregate. Um, as I say, there are winners and losers, but in the aggregate, it's not a zero-sum game. Unfortunately, as you rightly said, along came Xi Jinping, and he doesn't believe any of this stuff. Yes, that's right. He really doesn't. Yeah. And uh, you'd have to ask him just why he doesn't believe this stuff. But it's clear 
that he does not, to the point where it's not just that he doesn't believe in uh, global economic trade as a way of boosting China. He's not that interested in Chinese economic growth. It's not that he's uninterested. It's just that he's relegated it to well down the list yes. of his priorities. His priorities are security for the Chinese people, the future of the Chinese Communist Party, and global influence feeding back into those two first priorities. So one yes. of the things that he initiated a few years ago was something that's come to be known as the Belt and Road Initiative, Yes, which is China going around the world offering grants, but mostly loans, to third world countries to develop their infrastructure and other types of capital investment. And that worked very well for a while. There's all sorts of things going on in Asia, and in particular Africa. Uh, but the Chinese are running out of money to do this as a result of their economy now starting not to grow anymore, indeed in some cases to shrink. The Chinese economy, unlike our, we have an inflation crisis, cost of living crisis in our Western economies. China has the risk of uh, deflation of a late 1980s, 1990s, Japanese-style deflation. Yes. And that, if that comes to pass, they've got a real, real problem. And one of the many problems that flows from your economy not growing is that you don't have any money or any extra money to spend. And so their ability to lend money, to grant money to all these other countries where they're effectively trying to buy strategic influence in Asia, America, and to a certain extent yes. Latin America, that is now becoming circumscribed because it's, it's not just about economics. It's not even about economics hardly at all, actually. It's about offering these countries a different mo model, yes. a different um, economic stroke political model, which at front and center is, say, is saying that the Western democratic model of governance is for the birds. And the way in which you do things, if you do things our way, the Chinese way, look how much better off you're going to be. And the key way is to do it uh, uh, Xi Jinping's way, which is definitely not the traditional democratic uh, rule of law way that we in the West understand it. So it's, it's, it's really, really high stakes competition for a different way of life for these countries. And that, I think, is why America in particular, but the West in general, have gotten so anti-China, if we can put it that way. They're trying to be very careful about how they couch their language. They'd, they say they're not trying to hurt China. They're just trying to disengage somewhat. The language can be very tortuous. But the way in which this actually happens, as I say, is discouraging technological exports and exports of other key uh, types of intellectual property, mostly to China, and to bring it back to the United States in the first instance, or if it doesn't come back to the States, to friendshore it so that it, this manufacturing capability takes place in a friendly as opposed to an unfriendly country, and generally just disengaging from China. As I say, the Donald Trump tariffs on Chinese exports to the United States have stayed. If anything, they've increased, and they're not going away, whoever's next president. And this was a policy of Donald Trump's that was fruitful, I take it. Well, that depends on your perspective. Um, if you're the American well, consumer, um, the American consumer has borne the brunt of these tariffs, actually. So the prices are higher on these goods in, in the United right. States than they, they would otherwise have been. Um, so that they would probably argue is not, is not a great thing. But if, you're, if your goals are geopolitical, then yes, it has been successful because the Chinese clearly are very worried about this. Um, Chinese exports to the United States, to the rest of the whole world, as you said at the, at the top of the show, are suffering for tariff and lots of other reasons. So these policies are having a success of constraining China somewhat. Now, of course, China is responding. China is and will continue to respond 
in the ways that it, it sees fit. It's not just going to be a passive recipient of all of these anti-China policies. It's very angry about all of this. And uh, the way in which things go from here could be benign. It could be very, very sinister. There are some commentators, for example, who think that the economy now could get into so much trouble. It's all very well Xi Jinping saying, I don't really care about the economy anymore in the way that my predecessors did. But the Chinese people do care about it. They do yes. care about their incomes and their jobs and the rest of it. And it could well be that he faces so much domestic opposition to his policies going forward that the time-honored way for a tyrant to deflect attention from his domestic failures is to go off on foreign adventures. And there's one foreign adventure that really stands yes. out as the number one candidate, and you know what I'm talking about. Yes, Taiwan. Yes, exactly. And also they have begun to build a relationship. And there is, I think now, and many observers do think, there is a new world order post Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And the new world order has within it China leading Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, and other African countries, which for those of us who marched and fought apartheid is a bit of a kick in the backside. But there is a, a new world order led. So it isn't now just the West and China and Russia. It's Iran and it's Saudi Arabia. And China will lead that and will nurture that idea of these forces coming together in their own interests. And the presence of Saudis, for example, with their oil, must make that a pretty potent force. Potentially, yes. And because at the end of the day, as I've hinted throughout uh, this, is that your ability to harness these political forces depend considerably on how much money you've got. Yes. In other words, how much economic power you've got, how strong your economy is. Now, one of the things that's noticeable for most, but not all of those economies, is that they don't have a lot of money. The only economic power that Saudi Arabia and Iran have stems from its oil revenues, which, of course, in Saudi's case in particular, are considerable. Yes. Um, but a lot of these countries are economically struggling, and they could well turn to China looking for, in the first instance, economic support, and what they give in return is political support by joining, for example, the BRICS, which is the organization of Brazil, Russia, uh, India, China, and South Africa yes. that has expanded its membership. Um, too much derision in the West, it has to be said, for a number of reasons. Firstly, the BRICS themselves never amounted to anything more than an acronym. They've never actually done anything by way of serious policy, in, by serious cooperative policy. They've, never, they've achieved precisely zip. And an expanded BRICS, I think, risks doing precisely the same, which is, which is nothing. But it depends upon, at the end of the day, how much economic and military power you're able to harness. Obviously, China has a lot of that. Saudi Arabia only has American military power behind it. All of its arms are from the United States. They don't produce anything domestically. Iran is able to produce some domestic arms. But it, the, uh, your ability to produce military kit depends crucially on your economy, the amount of money you have. And China has been able to finance this vast expansion of its military over the last 30 or 40 years precisely because it's been generating the wealth and the income necessary to do this. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, an increasingly visible figure in this world, the brick world, and the alternatives to the West, and that is Modi, the leader of India, who is a Trumpian figure in many ways. He certainly is a friend of our enemies, and he is hosting the G20 this weekend. Is he a sort of game changer? As the leader of India, which is, you know, probably the most populous country in the world now, possibly anyway, but certainly a force in the world. Yes, he certainly would like the answer to that question to be yes. And they recently landed some equipment on the moon to try and demonstrate their technological prowess and therefore their political clout. Uh, Why landing people on the moon generates political clout is is a bit beyond me, but apparently it's a thing. And it's been a very, very big deal, particularly in India, but it's captured the headlines around the world. So Modi is clearly trying to be a player. The Indian economy is very big, but that's mostly because its population, as you say, is very, very big. And it's bigger than China's now, I think. Uh, On a per capita basis, its economy is tiny. It's still very, very poor. Um, You you know, the, the, the richest countries in the world on a per capita basis, countries like Luxembourg, Singapore, Norway, Switzerland, those countries often actually come ahead of the United States in terms of their per capita wealth and income. Um, And India comes nowhere in that list. And China comes a long, long way down. China's fundamental problem, I think, going forward and its ability to link up with 
India in the BRICS and in other uh, fora to um, uh, counter the West is, is going to be economic. And the problem that China has got is got an awful lot of debt. And it's built up huge, huge amounts of debt that are causing problems for individual property companies because yes. an awful lot of the debt is property-related. So if, if India is going to try and piggyback off Chinese success, there may well not be that much Chinese economic success going forward. India has all sorts of uh, economic strengths, but an awful lot of economic weaknesses. I don't know how much clout Modi actually will be able to wield going forward. He clearly is trying to exercise a lot of, uh, as I say, clout on the world stage. The G20 is this week. But India is a very large economy, but a very, very poor economy. Yes, It, I... it doesn't innovate an awful lot. I mean, one of the problems with all of these economies that you have, if you look around at Russia, China, India even, is that they are emulators rather than innovators. And that's yes. the problem with economies that are very, very tightly controlled from the center. India is a democracy. The rest of these countries that we mentioned are not. But India has all sorts of totalitarian characteristics via Modi's uh, regime, yes. shall we say. Uh, although I do acknowledge it is the world's largest democracy. Um, but these countries that are very, very tightly controlled from the, from the center do not have huge degrees or indeed any measurable degrees of innovation. They don't uh, invent stuff in the way that the big capitalist economies, particularly the United States, do on a continuous basis. Yes. All of the innovation comes out of the chaos that is the United States, the chaos, frankly, that is the United Kingdom as well, another great innovator. Yes. Um, these countries... Uh, are losing the, you know, their ability to even copy, let alone uh, acquire the ability to innovate. So I doubt very much if they're looking to economic development as, the, as, a, as a method to increase their clout on the, on the world's political stage, I think they're going to be very disappointed because their economies, particularly China's, but also India, is, is going to disappoint them in, in terms of the way it moves forward. Just to confirm what you said, perhaps, Chris, Elon Musk who seems to me to be a rather dangerous fellow. However, he is the kind of innovator you're talking about, isn't he, in some respects? He tends, I think, at the moment to favor Mr. Putin rather than Ukraine. But nevertheless, is he the kind of figure that you're thinking about when you talk about great innovators emerging from this maelstrom of capitalist Energy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's chaos. capitalist chaos produces all sorts of consequences. Uh, the, the Americans, via their moonshot program in the 1960s, which was entirely government-dominated. Yeah, in terms John of its F. Kennedy's great dream. And government spending, government resources, government scientists, government technicians, government workers. It was, there, there wasn't any one individual bar John F. Kennedy at the heart of the NASA moonshot Apollo program but produced huge amounts of innovation, it from did, Velcro indeed. to cameras to, to all sorts of stuff that we use today. So it isn't just about these mad inventors, these uh, crazy uh, multi-billionaire figures that really, we, you mentioned one there, and he does do a lot of damage, and I do. I agree with you. I, he appears to be a friend of Putin. I don't know whether you've seen the story that he thwarted Ukraine's yes, attempt to, to sink... Yeah to sink the Black Sea fleet last autumn. Yes. And, you know, that's incredibly serious if, he, if that is what he is doing. And, I, and I've, see, I've seen those stories. So these, these, these people, these mad genius people who become, the, who as a result of their innovations become multi-billionaires, winner, winner takes all, is, is the modern 
side, dark side of the innovative US economy. And I, th I think lots of things need to be done about that. And things can be done about that. It's gone far too far in Mr. Musk's and indeed other people's cases. But um, yeah, but w w whether it's government innovation or private sector or mad genius innovation, it's the Americas, yes. uh, the United States, where it all seems to have the iPhone came out of California. It didn't come out yes. of Beijing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, a final question, uh, Chris, about Germany and, your, and Europe, indeed, and Ireland. In all of this, where stands Europe? I note that the German economy now is in bother, and that's something that was unthinkable in the not-too-distant past. Yeah, as I said um, a few minutes ago, the German economy is flirting with recession, partly because of what's going on with China. Uh, it's also the case that the European economy in general is weak, and that's a story about the consequences of high interest rates. One of the peculiar things about the European economy is that everywhere it's either flatlining or weak, apart from one notable exception, where you're sitting. Um, <laughs> I don't know how sustainable that is for the, for the longer term, but you should bask in that glory of being the one place in Europe that is doing very, very well, economically speaking, better than the EU, better than the UK. I don't think it's sustainable for forever, but uh, long, it, it's going to create all sorts of difficulties for your upcoming budget, for example. Yes, and there is a, an, an argument going on between the regulator or the overseer, whatever you'd call them, IFAC, I think they're called, but between them and the government, particularly the Minister of Finance and that ministry, about the forthcoming budget. Dire warnings about repeating the mistakes we made in 2008 have been issued. Nevertheless, they've been resisted and rebutted by the Minister of Finance, who they are going to give some relief in whatever form to people. So they're going to spend more money from their tank without, they say, endangering another 2008-2010. Time will tell as to who's right on this one. I, it's IFAC's job to warn about the economic consequences. Um, but the thing that I think IFAC-type bodies, and we have them here in the UK, it's called the Office for Budget Responsibility, it's not in their remit, so it's perfectly understandable why they don't do this, is that they, they really need to understand, I think a bit better, how nakedly political budgets yeah. are. Yes. They're, they're as much a political process as an economic one, and you, you can't ignore one without the other. And the politics of this budget are going to be even more intense than usual in Ireland because it could well be the last one before the next general election. It could well be the last one of this coalition. As I say, time will tell. But the, but the numbers, at the pure economics, as described by IFAC, they're absolutely right. The government is running the risk of repeating those mistakes. It, that's all it is. It's running the risk because we don't know how sustainable these tax revenues that they are spending we don't know how sustainable they are. We got a little bit of a surprise with the most recent August numbers that were a billion shy of where they were last year. That's how volatile these numbers can be. It was only one month's number, so we mustn't read too much into it. But the days of exploding, always go, you know, surprising on the upside tax revenues are pretty much over, I think. And that's not unrelated to what we were talking about yes, in terms indeed. of the slowdown in world trade the slowdown in tech exports to China, it's not unrelated to that comment I made about the iPhone, because you may have noticed that because of this row between the United States and China, 
the Chinese government has banned the use of iPhones in government offices. And that has led to a 6% fall in Apple's share price. That's yes. a $200 billion hit to its market capitalization. And if Apple's activities, business activities in China are affected by this row, its profits will go down. And guess what happens to Irish corporation tax revenues if Apple's profits go down? They pay less corporation tax. Absolutely. And we suffer. Everything is connected to everything else in this world. Okay, Chris, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Chris Johns, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, now a very respected commentator who speaks a language we can all understand, unlike many economists. And we've learned a lot. And we're very grateful to you for this morning, Chris. To all of you who listened, that's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.